Hey, what's up, everybody? Blue Collar Charlie. Welcome back to another episode. Please forgive the background noise. I'm in a mechanical room, in a machine room. There's some components running in the background. So excuse the background noise. Not sure what to do with this podcast or what to do with this platform. Um, I have a couple angles figured out, but I need a co-host. It comes down to needing a co-host. I can talk all I want. I can talk till I'm blue in the face sometimes. But when it comes down to making this podcast and putting everything together, I'm an introverted extrovert where I could talk to people face to face. We can have conversations. I have a lot of thoughts that run through my head daily and I want to share them with everybody. I want to share them with you. Um, but it takes some provoking some other people's insight to start provoking thoughts and to spit it back out. Currently, I'm working and we're taking a lunch break, but um, waiting for some silicone glue to set up here at the Target. Love this place. Absolutely love this place. If you listen to my last episode, this is where a lot of the crazies are in Times Square. So gotta love Target get some personal shopping done on my downtime which is always good don't have to make that extra trip to the store when i get home but i'm in the middle of a long work week started with school on monday a little bit of overtime on wednesday now i'm working from uh seven to three and then four to midnight so i'm pulling a double then i'm working sunday four to midnight However, I have work Monday. I'm going to go right to work at 7 a.m. And kill it. Got class on Monday as well. So I'm planning on leaving the house Sunday evening around 2.30. And I won't be home until probably 9 o'clock Monday night. That's just how the grind goes. You have to be willing to put in time like that. Willing to put in hours like that because whatever trade you're in whatever craft you're trying to hone you only get better the more you do the more reps you get the more practice you get the better you're gonna get so i tell my supervisors and i tell people in my company listen i'm hungry i want to work i like to work and i need the money however it's also about learning The more I see, the more I learn, the more I get to put eyes on, the more value I am to my company in the long run. You have to think like that. How much can I do in a day? How much can I do in a week? Can I have that balance in my work life? Can I be a positive person? Can I be a positive impact in my family's life, in my kid's life? I'm gonna be the first to tell you, I'm not always that positive person. I'm not always the most optimistic person. I have my moments. I have my days. I have my weeks. I'm not perfect. I try to be. Show me somebody that is perfect and I'll call you a liar. There's a lot that goes on in the human mind to keep achieving, keep reaching for goals. You got to go to a special place sometimes. Um... Here in New Jersey, in New York, 
cost of living killing me and we're just doing the best we can to maintain you know what do you do when your wife needs to work and you need to work full time and the kids need to get their school paid the daycare needs to get paid the bills need to get paid but you can't take a day off can't take a vacation I could use a vacation right now Let me tell you Anybody who has a vacation planned Let me know where you're going Let me know what your plans are I want to live vicariously through you Until I can take that nice vacation I have one planned We're going to Florida as a family uh, At the end of August Beginning of September I can't wait for that I haven't been on a regular vacation And I really don't know when I've had weekends, like weekend trips with my wife where we get away from the kids. We, you know, go out for our birthday weekend. You know, we'll get a hotel in the city for a couple of days and, you know, we'll have a couple of things planned. So that's always good. We're right next to New York City. So, you know, I'm still a tourist when it comes to the city. So I still have a lot of bucket list things, you know, I have to check off. I still have to go to the, uh, the Statue of Liberty. I haven't been to the top of the Freedom Tower or the Empire State Building. I've been to Hudson Yards at the observation deck there. So I still have a lot of stuff to do. But um, I need somewhere tropical. Somewhere where there's blue water, palm trees, nice vibe, no care in the world. Um, I don't really drink anymore, so no, no cold drink in my hand like that. But I definitely need some sand in my toes sun upon my face let me know if you guys are going anywhere let me know if you got anything good planned if you're looking forward to a trip with your family if you're taking some paid time off drop a comment dm me let me know i'm interested to know so i want to get into who i am because I feel like I've been through a lot in my life. A lot of it has been self-inflicted where I did stupid shit. I was a real dumb kid. I always had the potential to be really good. I could have been a sweet and innocent kid. But the crowd of kids that I hung out with led me down that path of trouble. Um, Started when I was born, really. It was born... It was... I was born into a, a teen relationship where my mother was 16 the whole time she was pregnant. Her birthday is in the middle of July. I'm at the end of July. So two weeks before my birthday, she turned 17. My father had just turned 18, probably four or five months before that. And they weren't ready to be parents. My mother was young. She took me to high school with her. There was a a program called SAMS. It's an acronym for School Aged Mothers. And I used to go to that program with my mother when I was first born. So instead of preschool, I went right to high school. And it was funny because later on in life, I went to an inner city high school with a lot of pregnant teenagers. And they had that same SAMS program. 
and they would always let the girls out that were pregnant for lunch before they let anybody else out and these girls would eat up all the damn food every every day they would eat up all the hot lunches so but i was a sam's baby so i couldn't be mad i started out just like those little kids right there um so my father and mother didn't last they didn't last very long my father has two siblings a younger brother and a younger sister my mother has two siblings a younger sister and a younger brother so they were like my older siblings my aunt linda was like my sister on my dad's side and my uncle and my aunt were like my older brother and sister on my mom's side more so my uncle uncle phil philip kevin rubel jr rest in peace i'll get to that but um they, my uncle was like my role model so going through life my mother got remarried so i had a stepfather he didn't want kids in general he didn't even want his own son if you ask me but he didn't want to deal with me either so i had that relationship to deal with and then my father got remarried to a woman who wasn't that nice to me she was very controlling kind of mean a lot of my childhood in those days i blocked out a little bit i might have to do some uh, soul searching on the couch not the casting couch but soul searching on that couch with the psychiatrist to draw back some childhood memories or dig up some childhood trauma so going through life a lot of the times my grandmother i call her my nana she was on my dad's side of the family she had that love that that time she had the attention that she could give and she gave me a lot of attention she spoiled me you know she was my safe place she was like a second mother or a first mother really even now as an adult as a 32 year old man if i get sick if something's going on in my life i call my nana i call my mom too but it's just not the same and that's nothing against my mother i love my mother but it's not the same and uh so going up going going forward nana took a lot of care of me i lived with my father in in one town during the week i went to the schools in his town on the weekends i would always go to my mom's house until i decided to, to reverse it then i stayed at my mom's house during the week and then my dad's house on the weekends and i reversed it again no stability I never had any stability growing up. My father moved a few times. My mom moved every couple of years until she got a house. And, you know, we stayed in that house for a while, but at that point I was already a teenager and it didn't really matter to me that much at that point anyways. Um, so my dad ended up having my sister. And uh, so that was, that was my second sibling. My mom had my brother. I think 96 he was born. Something like that. And my brother Nick, I love him to death. We were the closest as far as like two boys go, you know. He was my he was my brother I shared a room with and everything. Um so on the day my sister was born, August 6th, 1996. 
I'll never forget it. I was at the hospital and where I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, there's multiple hospitals. You have Belmont Hospital, you have UMass Memorial, you have St. Vincent's Hospital. There's multiple hospitals all over the city, all within very close proximity to each other. And I'm at one hospital holding my baby sister, August 6th, 1996. And then my father says, hey bud, we're gonna go over to UMass. We're gonna go over to the other hospital where your Grammy, who's my mom's mom, where Grammy works. She just wants to say hi to you. I said, okay, not a problem. And at this time I'm eight years old, eight years old. And my daughter right now is seven and she's just developing her frontal, frontal lobe of her reasoning and understanding. She's maturing right before my very eyes. So here I am, eight years old. I said, all right, I'll go to the hospital. And I went to the other hospital. My, na- my Grammy worked there. I walked in and I saw my entire family. My whole family from my mother's side was in that hospital. And I was thinking to myself, what is going on? I said, dad, why is everybody here? And he couldn't tell me. He didn't know what to say. And I said, well, whatever they're crying about, I'm not going to cry because I'm a big boy. I remember saying that very specifically. And then I go into this room. There was a doctor in there with my Grammy. They're wearing their white doctor's coats and everything. And they said, your uncle had an accident and he's not going to make it. And I'll never forget. I'm getting chills through my body as I'm speaking about it. I'm tearing up in my eyes. As I'm speaking about it, all these years later, I'm 32 years old, going to be 33. I was eight years old and it still affects me till this day. And I bawled my eyes out. I couldn't speak. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't stand up. And they asked, do you want to see him again? Because he was in a coma. Um, And I said, no, I don't want to see him. And I found out later on that my father would fight with my my Grammy and my mom about letting me see him because my father didn't think it would be a good idea. He didn't want my last memory of my uncle to be him laying in a hospital bed. Some reason I chose no. I said, no, I don't want to see him. And thank God I said that. It was up to me. It was my choice. So what had happened, what had happened was he hung himself with a duffel bag strap at 18 years old. He went home, he called his mother and said, I'm gonna kill myself. The story is nothing against my Grammy, but supposedly she told him he didn't have the balls to do it. She tried to call the house to say, do you want a haircut? They were going to bring my little cousin Adriana for a haircut and at the time my uncle had long long hair in a mushroom cut and it was getting pretty long so she was trying to call the house do you want to go get a haircut and he wasn't answering so they pulled up to the house she goes inside she goes to open his door she can't open his door she forced her way in his body fell on the floor she started administering CPR my aunt could hear my Grammy yelling from inside the house she was outside in the driveway They called 911. 
he was basically brain dead. He was without oxygen for seven minutes. They could have saved him, um, but he would have been a vegetable. So they pulled the plug. And ever since then, my family's never been the same. Nobody's ever been the same. And if you ask me, that's when my life changed. My outlook on life changed. I remember I was nine years old and I threatened suicide at nine years old. You don't even know what life is. You don't even know what death is at nine years old. And I threatened suicide behind that. They took me to the hospital. I was a young kid. I'm not suicidal now. But back then I was not. Explain that to me. This is my most vulnerable episode yet. So going through life after my uncle, I don't remember much. I just remember living with my dad. My stepmom wasn't that nice. My stepdad, I felt like he could care less if I was there or not. I was more of a burden to him. And my dad and his wife, they ended up getting into a fight. I witnessed the whole thing. I had to call the cops. My dad didn't really do anything wrong. Looking back as a man, I mean, there's things he could have done differently, yeah. But I had to call the cops. I seen the whole thing. I was in the middle of it. From that moment on, I lived with my Nana. My dad had his shit that he had to deal with. He ended up getting married again a little bit later on. But from that moment on, I lived with my Nana. I was in sixth grade. They kicked me out of that school because I wasn't living in the town anymore. So I had to switch schools in sixth grade. I wound up with a, a couple good friends who lived in my Nana's neighborhood. They lived down the street. Alex Laquillo and Eric Laquillo. Unbelievable people. Till this day, I still talk to uh, Eric from time to time, and he worries about me a lot. Still. Uh, we were good friends for years. And we would skateboard. I would skateboard all around town. Ollie and stairs, kick flips, 360 flips. You know, doing all kinds of stuff all around town. You know, being a kid. Being a regular kid. Causing some trouble, but nothing crazy. Regular trouble. And then I started smoking weed. Once I started smoking weed, my mentality changed. I think dealing with my uncle and dealing with all of those resentments through my childhood, the weed was the answer for me at the time. And it definitely changed me a little bit. Um, I started running with the wrong crowd, with bad kids, with bad people. Um, we were all kind of innocent at first. But at one point, I started getting in trouble with my family for smoking weed. My Nana and my dad got messages from my teachers saying that they thought that I was on drugs. And my, my family was trying to have me drug tested. And, you know, they were trying to discipline me to stop me from doing those things. And I just wouldn't listen. My mom didn't really care as much because her sister smoked weed. My aunt. Everybody at my mom's house smoked weed. All the adults, all the role models, everybody, except for my mom. My mom didn't smoke, still doesn't. But 
you know, I moved in with my mom because it was more lenient, less rules, less restrictions. And once I moved in with my mom, I had to go to an inner city school, which meant more bad kids, more gangs and stuff like that. So I started running with gangs and all kinds of different people. Alcohol got introduced to the picture, started drinking at a young age. I have some stories about that. Um, I could get into some war stories. But one time when I was 16, I was at a house party and I had in my cup, I had Bacardi 151, Captain Morgan's and Absolute Vodka. All three mixed together. No chaser, no soda, nothing. Each type of liquor was a chaser for the other type of liquor. And Bacardi 151, you could run a car on that. It's flammable. It's 151 proof liquor. I was drinking that straight at 16 years old. So at this house party, there was a problem. There was a group of older guys. They had to be in their late 20s, now that I'm thinking back on it. And this group of guys was just chattery all night. We were kind of going back and forth. And before they left, I thought I was Mr. Get Bad. I walked up to the group of people. I said, yo, who the fuck wants a problem? I turn around to see who's behind me. Now, one of my boys is behind me. As I turn back around, homeboy took a Captain Morgan's bottle right to my face. Right to my face. Knocked my ass out. I didn't fall down. My boy Kevin came in the room. As soon as I got hit, he pushed me forward. I fell into the group of guys. I grabbed onto one of them. I started swinging, throwing haymakers and everything. I didn't fall. I never fell. I never hit the ground. I hit a knee, but I never fell. I look in the mirror after it's done. My tooth is knocked out. I got marks all over my face. But I'm still standing, motherfuckers. So that's just one little war story. That was 16. And... um Going forward, I, I was selling weed, selling drugs. I had a girlfriend um, for a couple years. Her name was Molly. And we would just do regular 16, 17-year-old kid stuff who were young and in love. We would smoke weed all day, think that we had the world figured out. We really didn't. Still don't. And we broke up. Once we broke up, I started hanging out with more of my boys and just like, it just got deeper. I sold more weed, I sold more drugs, I sold more cocaine, I did more cocaine. So now I'm 18 years old, 19 years old, and I'm selling coke, I'm selling weed, I'm doing all this shit. Um, and we would always end up at house parties, like frat parties, house parties, every weekend, every night, and at the time, I was working at UPS, and I would work the preload shift, which would mean I have to wake up at like three in the morning and go to work from, you know, three or four to nine in the morning. And then I had the entire day to do what I wanted. So I would go to work, get out at nine, and then all day long, I would just sell drugs constantly from the second I get out of work at UPS at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning until one o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't even sleep because I was doing cocaine. So I started losing my fucking mind, doing tons of blow, not sleeping, not eating right, hanging with guys who you question their integrity every, every minute. 
There's no honor amongst thieves. Hanging with guys who are parts of gangs. Now you might be a part of a gang yourself. And we ended up at this house party. And um, my boy Drew, that day, Drew was on house arrest. And I had seen Drew that day and I had an opportunity to go to a concert in Connecticut for this rapper from Harlem. And uh, he, he, he invited us to this concert and said, hey, you guys come through, you guys get backstage. I got you guys, I'll show you guys some love. Just come through the concert. My boy Drew said, I think you should go to the concert. I don't think you should go to Louis' birthday party tonight. And I said, yeah, 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 I feel you, bro, whatever. I went to the, I went to the birthday party. So birthday party's going down at one location. Shit's getting crazy. A fight breaks out. I'm all coked up and yacked up. So I go to leave. My intentions were to go home that night. But then people call me. Yo, see. Yo, listen. Yo, people over here asking about the white girl. Yo, they want you here. I was like, ah, all right, whatever. So I pulled up to the party. I don't know where we're at. This is the after party. It's like one o'clock in the morning. I'm busting out Yayo in the basement. I'm arranging to buy guns. I'm getting numbers from shady, shady characters. And for me to say that it was a shady situation, yo, that shit was sketchy. So I'm getting numbers. Next thing you know, another fight breaks out. We're outside. It's like a blizzard. There's like a sheet of ice outside and uh, covering the ground. So I pull up my Impala right out front. Skirt, right out front. I'm waiting for my boys to come outside. My boy comes outside. Yo, yo, see. Yo, just come inside, bro. Like, there's bitches inside. They're asking about us. They want us to stay. Just come inside and chill for another couple of minutes. All right, whatever. I left the keys in my car. The car was running out front. I go inside. Now, I'm fucked up. I've been doing coke all night. I've been drinking all night. I finally just sat down and I'm in this armchair like an ottoman and I got my feet up and I'm starting to fall asleep. It's three o'clock in the morning. Next thing you know, from behind me, I hear some kids say, I'm about to smoke a blunt. And the girl whose house it was, was like, oh, hell no, not in my house. Cause now we're in the living room of this girl's house before we were in the basement of this girl's house. So this kid was like, I'm about to spark a blunt. She said, get the fuck out of my house. She like pushed him or whatever, cause I was sitting with my back turned to them. Supposedly he like raised his hand to slap this girl. My boy Kevin, who's across from me on the couch with two girls, he jumps up, jumps over me and pushes the kid to stop him from slapping the girl. And since my boy got up, I got up too, and I pushed the kid. When I pushed the kid, the kid charged at me, and I fell down. When I fell down, I smashed my head on the, on the baseboard heater. I had a big, huge knot on the back of my head. Once I fell down, the kid got on top of me, and I couldn't get out. I got nervous. I got a panic attack, whatever you want to call it. But I was in that life. I was in the street life. I had a knife with me all the time. That's what I did. So mixed with the fighting, 
the adrenaline, the fact that I'm trapped on the ground, I just smashed my head, I'm fucked up, I don't know what's going on. Every time you get into a fight at one of these parties, you don't know who's on your side for a minute. Everything pops off, but you have groups of people. You don't know. You're, you're all drunk and high. You don't. You can't see straight. You don't know who that is, if that guy's on your side or on your team or not. So I pulled out my knife. And when I pulled out my knife, somebody took the kid off of me. The fight ensued, but my mind was already on go. So I ran up to the kid, and I stabbed him three times. I'm not going to get into more specifics. But I stabbed him three times. And that street mentality, that street life, that's just what you're supposed to do, I guess. So I left the house. I walked right out the front door like I was John Gotti, like I was Mr. Untouchable. I jumped in my Impala with the blood-covered knife. I picked up a couple people. I went home. I went to my house. I started cutting up coke with the knife. They had blood on it, sniffing coke with blood. Somebody else's blood. And at the time, I didn't think I did anything wrong. And that's wrong. But I went for about a week. Everybody started talking. My name was in the cop's ear. They had my mugshot. It wasn't a mugshot, I'm sorry. It was my license photo. They pulled up my license and they started showing my picture from my license to everybody. All the girls at the party were like, it was CJ, it was CJ. So they had to figure out my regular name. Um, A week later, I'm at my house. This all happened very surreal, like, uh, like a dream. And I'm at my house with this kid. I rolled up a blunt and it was like the perfect blunt. The perfect blunt. I put it on my tray. I put it on my desk. I bagged up a bunch of weed. I bagged up a bunch of coke. I put the coke in the safe. I hid the safe in my room. I hid the weed in the safe too. And I'm about to go spark the perfect blunt. But I hear the dogs at my house. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? It's Friday night around six o'clock. It's dark. I'm like looking out my window. I don't see anybody. Okay. All of a sudden, the dogs start barking again. I look out my window. I see two guys in khaki pants sitting at my front door. I went outside before they could come inside my house because I know how that goes. Are you Charles Allen? I said, yep. They said, hands behind your back. We have an arrest warrant for attempted murder. Anything you say or will can be, anything you say or do can be used against you. Yada, yada, yada. You guys know the rest. They kept trying to trip me up. Wow, wow, you seem like such a nice kid. What did you do? I have no idea, Pops, but my lawyer might have a better idea. But you would probably know better than me, actually. What does it say on that paper? I have no idea why I'm here. This must be a mistake. Call my lawyer, though. And that's how I played it. Given that it was my first charge, I'd never been in trouble with the law before. And I had some family that cared about me. They said, Mr. Allen... We're going to let you out on your own recognizance. You have to wear an a anklet monitor. You're on house arrest. So that's what I did. I stayed with my Grammy for about eight months until I violated my house arrest for drinking a beer. Um, once I violated, I spent a couple weeks in jail. And from there, I ended up going back to my Nana's house 
off a of house arrest. I tried to go to college. I tried to do the right thing. But I kept hanging out with the same losers, the same people, doing the same shit. And then that's when the painkillers started coming around. Um, I did painkillers a little bit. It was fun to smoke and then pop a perk and, you know, chill out and everything. Um, but then I started doing the right thing for a while because it's a long story. I'll save it for another podcast. But I got in trouble again with my friend Kevin. Um, we smashed up some houses. Somebody owed me money, so I smashed up this kid's house. And I got arrested for that. But it was in a different district court from where I got in trouble for the stabbing. So when I was arraigned, I pled guilty to everything. I said, I did it. It was me. I smashed the house. I smashed everything. I'll pay restitution. They kind of like dropped the charges, right? I just admitted to my wrongs. Um, and they put me on probation. They didn't stick me with any felonies, but they put me on probation for one year. Then I went to court for the stabbing. They indicted me to superior court, but they dropped the attempted murder off of the charges. And they hit me with just armed assault or aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. That's what I ended up being charged with. But superior court is more than two years of a jail sentence. Superior court, when you go from district court to superior court, superior court was the state, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus Charles Allen. I wasn't just, you know, facing somebody else. I wasn't just, you know, being charged with a crime by somebody who pressed charges on me or anything like that. It was the Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus Charles Allen. And your jail sentence could be anywhere upwards of two years or more. So I was nervous. I asked my lawyer at the time, I said, listen, Al. If they hit me with everything that they, all the charges, the attempted murders and all that stuff, if they throw the book at me, what's the worst case scenario? He said, 40 years? <laughs> I was 19 at the time. I did the math. I'm 32 right now. I'd still be sitting there. So, um, next thing you know, I pled out. I copped a plea. And the judge looked at me and said, Mr. Allen, I see something in you. You have something within you. And you're a special person. But instead of me giving you this felony for the rest of your life and hurting your, you for the rest of your life, I'm going to give you a second chance. The second chance is up to you. If you can be a model probationer for the next year, and if your probation officer suggests that we do so, we will revise and revoke your guilty disposition and you will not have a felony on your record ever again for the, as long as you live. You can continue your life as a regular citizen. I said, okay. And God damn it, I did it. I was able to come out on the other side of that situation. And it taught me a lot. It wasn't easy. It was really hard to go through probation like that. Probation's usually a setup. It's usually a trap. When people get on probation, you never get off, typically. And I made it through that fire. On the other side of it was a, was a positive future, it seemed. Uh, once I finished with probation, I still tried to go to college. I was trying to go to school for EMT classes. I had a good girlfriend. I was dating a nice girl and uh, who had a good head on her shoulders. She was going to school for uh, to be an uh, oncologist for cancer. And she was going to Dana-Farber Institute in Boston. And um, I was working at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
I was working at Michael's Arts and Crafts as well. I was working two jobs, going to school, and I ended up getting a job at Verizon Wireless, which was a big bump in pay. I was 22, I think I was about, yeah, like 22, 23. I was making like 55,000 a year, making more than my grandparents, making more than my, a lot of people in my family. And I had no bills. I was pissing it away though, because the day that I got the call that I was going to get the job at Verizon, they said, hey, Charles, you know, we, we loved your interview. You did a great job. We think you'd be a great fit to our team. Um, they said, you have to go take a drug test. And that day or the day before I ended up like taking, I think it was like a seven and a half milligram Percocet. And I downed that. I ate it. I didn't sniff it or ain't do anything crazy. I just I just ate it like normal. Um, so I remember flushing my system, trying to get it out of my system to get the job. And pills weren't really like a big thing like that in my you know in my life. I I experimented, but it was always like a, take a take a pill and smoke some weed and you know have a little bit of a drink, and that would just set the mood right. It was never really. Uh, a prominent thing in my day-to-day life up until this point I ended up you know taking Percocets often and it just became part of the daily where I ended up starting with you know seven and a half milligram or five milligram Percocets and then went up to the 15 milligram Percocets and then I ended up uh, sniffing them and doing the 30s and then smoking the 30s eventually which was kind of crazy this is like my most authentic podcast that I've done this is this is me I got to live my truth right this is the shit that I've been through this is the shit that I've done and it makes me who I am whether I'm a good person today whether I'm a decent person today um you know I've, I've I've been through it you know I'm not just some guy sitting here trying to preach to you with no clue on on life you know I've been through this shit I've been through hell I've been to I've, I've met the devil and uh it's it's not pretty but it's and it's not easy thing to overcome so I was doing pills and the pills were just took my soul, took my body, took my mind. I was stealing from everybody, stealing from everything. And uh, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I had enough. So I ended up going to Florida through some contacts that I, I, I had made growing up. There was a girl that I went to school with who I used to talk on the phone all the time with when I was a kid, you know, in my early teenage years. You know, uh, when we still had house phones and you had to call up and ask if the person was there, she had gotten herself clean. And I had ran into her when I was working at Verizon Wireless months before. And I was in really bad shape, you know, physically. Uh, I couldn't stay clean for a second. I was doing pills constantly. Uh, I was skinny as a twig and I just was in really bad shape. But she saw me and, you know, a couple months down the road, just that interaction kind of clicked. And I said, you know, let me call, let me call this person and see if I can get some help. And that person was able to give me a hand. So like I said, in my previous podcast, God put somebody in my life when I was in sixth grade. If my father and his wife never got into a fight and they never got into that argument and I didn't have to move schools, I never would have met the person that got me into treatment in the first place, that got me down to Florida, that set my life on this path. My life was on that path back in sixth grade sixth grade that person came into my life so you know it's uh 
once you get past these situations, you're able to look back on all of these things that took place in your life and and really, you know, wonder, is there is there more than just what we see in the physical eye? You know, there's some divine intervention that happens. Um, quick side note, if the podcast sounds different, I am recording like inside of a box because I'm still in a machine room and it's loud as shit. So I, I jerry rigged some stuff up where it would make my background noise kind of go away i'm sweating balls in here right now because it's kind of hot in this little contraption but i cut my finger in the process this podcast has now officially cost me blood uh, a little bit of sweat now and earlier in this episode i teared up a little bit so blood sweat and tears are going into this shit so you guys better appreciate it um so with the pills i ended up just going down to florida and i got myself clean i spent 45 days in the treatment center and um, I learned a lot about myself. And again, in the moment, my, my therapists and psychologists were saying stuff to me like that would, you know, what is your family code? What does Charles Allen mean? What does it mean to be you? And I never understood that shit. And I, I mean, I kind of understand it now for me to sit here and articulate it back to you on a podcast while I'm in a fucking box recording, sweating my balls off is kind of hard to do. Um, but I'll just continue with the life story. So did my time in rehab, went down to South Florida, went down to Fort Lauderdale um, in a roundabout way. There's a lot that went on, was uh, pretty involved in the Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous rooms down there for a while. Uh, and that's where I met my wife. I met my wife down there and we ended up uh, having a bumpy road from the start. Right away, it was a bumpy road. Um, but, you know, we ended up getting together. We broke up for a little bit. And, you know, I did my thing. She did her thing. And we ended up getting back together and relapsing together. So we were using drugs. Um, we were getting high together, using Percocet. You know, there's a lot of specifics I could go into. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of keep it a little bit brief on those subjects. Um, and one thing led to another. And the two of us got ourselves in trouble. Landed up in Broward County Jail for the night. We found out that we got on drug court, which is like a year-long program that you have to adhere by. You have to go three times a week. We had shared one car, um, and I don't think she was working at the time. I was still working, but we had to be in like two places at one time, two separate people, one car. And to top it all off, when the two of us detoxed and got clean, she became pregnant with my daughter. And we found out that we were going to be parents. And that was the moment that we decided to change our lives for the better. And, you know, we stopped drinking, stopped drugging. We went to drug court. We did what we had to do. I became a personal trainer. I went to, uh, and even that was divine, the way that it happened. I was working out. I went to drug court. She said, Mr. Allen, my counselor, she goes, what would you like to do with your time? What do you like to do in your free time? When you're not with your wife or your girlfriend, when you're not at work, you know, what do you like to do? And I was like, I guess only thing, you know, some of the best times in my life were fitness oriented. I was always working out or something. And she was like, so do that. And I was like, yeah, but I don't have the money. She, I, 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 I don't care. I don't want to hear that. Do what you love to do. That's it. I said, all right, then whatever. I'll go get a gym membership. I spent the $50. I got the gym membership. I started working out, started getting in shape. And then I started thinking, seeing I, the personal trainers at the gym, 
maybe I could do something like that. And I, it was in the back of my mind. I was thinking about it. And then this guy where I lived, his name was Joey Zinn. And I, he always had a personal trainer shirt on. So I asked him one day, I said, hey, man, what's up? You know, you, you're a personal trainer. What's what's the deal with that? And he was like, yeah, actually, he gave me the deal. You know, he's actually a pretty renowned trainer, very well known in the Fort Lauderdale area. Um, articles written about him, all kinds of stuff. And he was like, actually, I worked with the Fit World Fitness Association on Oakland Park Boulevard in South Florida. He was like, uh, I'll call them and say, Joey Zinn has a credit for $400. I'll give you my credit because I'm never going to use it. And I was like, are you sure you'll give me the $400 credit? He goes, yeah, man, absolutely. Call them now. So I called him. It was like an $800 course. This guy gave me $400. I, don't, I didn't know him through a hole in the wall. And then my father gave me the other 400 bucks. And that set me up. I got certified as a personal trainer. I started working in a gym and I started doing the right thing. Next thing you know, uh, we got off drug court. We did what we had to do. We completed our program and we moved up to New York and New Jersey to be with my wife's family and uh, make things easier on us, have some support with childcare. And that's pretty much where my story winds up. That was about seven years ago. I worked for a non-union paving contractor for a couple of years. That taught me a lot when I first moved here. Um, this guy, Donato, he, he didn't know me at all. He was like, so what do you want to do? He, he, he knew my mother-in-law uh, from years ago. When he first started his business, my mother-in-law worked for him. And she, my mother-in-law set up this contact. And he was like, so what do you want to do? You're a personal trainer. Uh, I can get you in any gym. You can train in any gym that you want, or you can come work for me, make 18 to 20 an hour. And I was like, listen, uh, I just need to earn some money right now. You know, uh, the personal trainer thing is, is good, but I got to work and, and start learning some construction stuff too, you know? And at, at that moment, I wish I went with the personal trainer route as well. I, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. I wouldn't be blue collar Charlie. I wouldn't be this person that I am today. But uh, before I left Florida, I said to my wife, I said, I love the personal train. That's what I do. So I'm going to do that. That's what I am going to do. No, but you need a job with benefits. Now that I know what the secret is, is to do something that you love and just do that every day. When I had that safety net of living at my in-laws house, low rent, low overhead, I wish I took that, that plunge then and just personal trained every single day. Because right now I would definitely be successful with it. However, that's neither here nor there. But this guy was like, yo, whatever you want to do, I'll, I'll help you out. And if you need money, we're cool like that. I'll hold you down. I got some cash. I could spot you. you know. And I was like, that's not necessary. But uh, he took care of me over the course of a couple of years. You know, there's good times and bad times with everything and everybody. But I, I, I choose to remember the good times as well, you know, um, more, more so than the bad times. Because the guy looked out for me and he's a great person. Um, and my cousin, my wife's cousin, he did something that nobody ever has done for me in my life, really. Uh, he got me into this business, in the elevator constructor uh, business. And, you know, now I'm a union member. You know, life is, is great. You know, I have two beautiful children. My son was born a week before I got into the business, uh, uh, August 29th, uh, 2018. My son was born. I love him so much. Um, Charles Joseph Allen, the fifth. You know, I'm supposed to be uh, the fourth. My, my father's the third. You know, the, the family name goes back very far, but 
my mother, I guess, wanted to make me a junior, you know, because my uncle was a junior. But uh, so I decided to make my son the fifth and he's going to carry on my legacy. I hope one day maybe my kids will hear this podcast. They'll hear the truth of my my story and, um, you know, they can kind of get more of an insight of who their father was. And, you know, maybe maybe it'll stop them from doing some dumb shit as well when they get older. Um, But, you know, I've been through a lot. I felt like I wanted to share this story with you guys. You know, it's not over yet. There's still a lot of story to make, a lot of stuff to do. And um, I'm, I'm thankful that I have this platform. I'm thankful that I have, you know, people to share this journey with, loved ones, and even now listeners. I hope you guys can take some inspiration from my story. I hope you guys enjoyed it. That's pretty much all I got for this episode. If you want to hear more, if you want to hear some more stories like that, uh, let me know. That does it for this week's episode of Blue Collar Charlie. As usual, I'm your host, CJ Allen, and I'm out.